As more and more developing nations, including some of the world's largest economies, decide to ditch the dollar in their bilateral trade, voices of concern and even despair are being heard in the U.S. over the looming end of America's global financial dominance. I warned the dollar would be replaced with yuan a year ago when Washington decided to wage a proxy war with Russia and Ukraine, and now it's happening. The warming against Ukraine war is going to plunge Americans into economic woes never seen before in our entire history if the dollar falls. They will be to blame and America will never recover. Also, it's been backed up by the strength and economic power of the United States and the fact that oil has always been traded in dollars. If that were to end, that would mean the end of the U.S. dollar. Well, let's find out more, shall we? Let's bring in a panel of guests. Paul Craig Roberts, former U.S. Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, now Chairman of the Institute for Political Economy. Richard Werner, Professor of Governance and Sustainability at De Montfort University. And John Veroli, journalist and political analyst. Many thanks to all of you for joining us on the program. It's wonderful to see you. Now, my first question to Mr. Roberts, please, if we can start with you. Uh, Russia, China, India are among the countries dropping the dollar in bilateral trade. What are the factors? is contributing to this trend and just how far do you expect it to go? Well, the sanctions um, gave it a big boost forward. I think the idea was uh, already in the heads of certain leaders because of the uh, buildup in American um, uh, debt to, to uh, the rest of the world due to the large American uh, trade deficit. Um, the the uh, problem of the large trade deficit is to the dollar because uh, people hold the currency as the reserve currency, but they don't use it uh, in their internal economies. They have to use their own currencies. And so there's a pressure to hedge uh, the dollar and and their own currencies, and these th these uh, can become derivatives, and then they become uh, uh, full of potential risk. So we can see the two things working: the abuse of the dollar as the world reserve currency is now called the weaponization of the dollar and the continuing ongoing large American trade deficits. In fact, globalism was the main contributor to that because of the offshoring of American manufacturing. All of the um, goods that the American firms make in Europe, when they come back into the country, they come in as imports, and thus they balloon the, uh, the foreign trade uh, deficit. So these two factors together are putting a great deal of pressure on the dollar. Indeed. Uh, coming over to Mr. Werner, now Xi Jinping was recently in Moscow for a meeting with the Russian leader. They talked extensively about strengthening the economic uh, ties between China and Russia. How much of a big deal is this development for the global economy? I think it is a historic moment. Uh, of course, it was basically in the coming as Paul pointed out, and as he has pointed out in his writings, uh, and, uh, and, and others, uh, some of us have been pointing out that with um, 
the illegal seizure of foreign exchange reserves of sovereign nations within the dollar system and the you know US European five eyes sort of um, uh, group of countries um, that was a big warning uh, to to other sovereign nations to be careful and not keep their precious uh, wealth stored up through exports and hard-earned you know uh, work uh, in US dollars and that of course ultimately uh, is what uh, what is likely to damage um, the US dollar but you need an alternative and that's where the US for a long time has felt quite confident there is no alternative the world currency is the US dollar well you can create alternatives and of course that's what um, a lot of countries have done initially starting with a, a core group of countries and you mentioned Russia China of course that cooperation is crucial uh, but there is you know the, the, the bigger group the BRICS countries and more countries are joining the BRICS countries and of course China has uh, launched already it's almost 10 years ago the Belt and Road uh, initiative which is a, a very smart way of uh, trying to think about how to recycle their foreign exchange reserves what to do with them if you don't all want to pile them into US treasuries which can be very risky um, you know because actually you know what happens with US treasuries if you get your money there they're actually not allowed to be exported these treasury certificates from the US they're held in custody by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and if there's a technical problem when you want to sell you can't even sell them which has happened demonstrably uh, to, to some countries so then they want to use uh, a different uh, tool and China has decided instead of building up um, reserves in liquid assets well why not actually invest them in productive um, long-term investments such as infrastructure investments that increase uh, economic cooperation uh, therefore uh, you know uh, creating closer ties with many other countries particularly those countries that have a lot of commodities to export that China wants and needs uh, then there's a natural um, uh, collaboration going on so that was already the mm. background and now we've come to this point where um, we have now concrete alternatives UN um, tools you know um, we have futures contracts in Shanghai on oil we've got Brazil getting ready to have its exporters being paid in Chinese currency mm -hmm. and so on so the alternatives are now becoming very concrete and, and pragmatic thank you uh, coming to mr. Veroli uh, to what extent do you think the actions of the US and some of its allies like sanctions for example have actually contributed to this global de-dollarization yes we have to be very clear that the US has shot itself in the foot it has created the situation where countries are in revulsion to American foreign policy and want to get as far away as possible from the U.S. And of course, that means you know, 20 more than 20 years of war in the Middle East. I mean, 20 years of war, destruction, death, war crimes, genocide. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm really embarrassed to say this as an American, but my country is the most destructive actor on, in the international arena for the past 25 years. I mean, that's that's a fact. No one's going to dispute that. So why? And plus, on the economic side, the financial side, we have quantitative easing where we've been spending trillions and trillions of dollars. God knows on what where all this money has gone that's been printed over the past, especially since 2008, 
all this money over the past 15 years has been printed. And so if you're strictly from a business point of view, like why would you want to invest in the U.S.? And when I say invest, I mean like, you know, work with the American currency or buy American treasuries. Why? Because that is an investment in the U.S. economy. Why would you want to do it? It's a bad investment. Again, the U.S. is a very destructive geopolitical actor, and it's a very carefree, wanton, uh, licentious financial actor. So it's actually a horrible, a horrible bet, the U.S., objectively speaking. And you know, going forward, we see that the U.S. is unrepentant, absolutely unrepentant. You know, I had this hope, this naive hope that after we pulled out of Afghanistan, that maybe we're going to be finally a constructive actor in the international arena. And then, of course, what do they do? They start the war in Ukraine. The U.S. is hopeless. I'm sad. Very sorry to say that, but pretty much a hopeless case. And I welcome the rise of new blocks across the globe. That would be great for the global economy. Thank you. Uh, coming back to Mr. Roberts now, um, as you know, we recently saw the collapse of several U.S. banks, sparking fresh fears of a global economic slump or even a meltdown reminiscent of 2008. What's your take on the situation and who's actually to blame this time? <laughs> well, the Federal Reserve is to blame. Uh, they created the situation with uh, about 12 years of money printing. And uh, during that period, a lot of the financial instruments on the balance sheets of banks are very low interest rate instruments. And now the Federal Reserve has uh, rapidly raised interest rates. So that uh, depreciates the values on the bank's balance sheets, but it doesn't depreciate their liabilities. So the Fed's policy of raising interest rates forces banks into bankruptcy. This was the reason the Silicon Valley Bank failed. It was simply forced into bankruptcy by the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. Now other banks will be vulnerable to this also. The, the next ones that fail will be those who have uh, a large amount of low interest rate financial instruments on their balance sheets. Uh, we see already, uh, at least their reports, you never know anymore <laughs> what you can believe, but we see reports that already a trillion dollars have been pulled out of the smaller banks. Now this doesn't affect the very large banks, the five large banks, because Everyone regards them as too big to fail. In other words, the Federal Reserve would never let them fail. So people feel more secure with their money and the five large banks. So yes, this, this will continue. Uh, and I think it was a mistake for the Federal Reserve to take the step the other day of begin raising interest rates and indicating that it might again do this in May uh, of this year. Mm. Uh, these interest rate increases um, reduce the solvency of the banks. Uh, again to Mr. Werner, please. Uh, people like to talk about the massive U.S. national debt, currently at more than $31.6 trillion. But what does that number actually mean? Who owes who? And how's that money ever expected to be returned? Or can the U.S. Federal Reserve just keep uh, on, you know, printing uh, more money? What it is, um, it is the largest amount of, of debt by any uh, measure uh, that we've seen in history. Um, and it is very difficult to, to quantify and visualize the enormity uh, because, of course, the official headline figures are still an understatement if you put in all the unfunded uh, pension liabilities and all sorts of other uh, factors. 
so, well, what, what happens when countries have so much debt? Of course, the, the big advantage the U.S. has had, coming back to our earlier discussion, is the U.S. dollar, and its debt is denominated in its own currency. So technically, it can always print enough dollars to repay the debt. However, that may create dollar weakness and inflation. In fact, that is how all um, big debt problems in the past um, have been solved in inverted commas, uh, that inflation has been created. Uh, of course, there's, there's more drastic steps like a complete reset or a default and so on. Uh, but it's very common to have um, inflation. Now, that's where we come to the, the story that, that Paul uh, was just uh, telling us, because the Federal Reserve is not just now raising rates and is now doing sort of something that actually can be very damaging. The process started earlier, and again, the Fed has been at the center of this. In March 2020, the Federal Reserve created a whole uh, huge amount of money. This is the type of quantitative easing I suggested originally when I proposed this concept of QE in Japan. Um, and it's when the banking system is, is shrinking, credit creation, money supply is shrinking, you've got deflation, the economy is shrinking. You uh, get the central bank to purchase non-performing assets from banks to bail out the banks, you know, clean up the balance sheets without cost to the taxpayer. And secondly, you have the central bank purchasing performing assets from non-banks, therefore pushing massive amounts of money into the economy. Now, that's what the Federal Reserve did in March 2020 at a completely unsuitable time to an historically unprecedented amount. So they created this inflation. I warned at the time, May 2020, we're going to get significant inflation 18 months down the road. That's what happened. It was the Fed. And that uh, means, you know, this, this whole process is being driven by the Fed, including the banking crisis. Because why was a Silicon Valley bank actually in trouble? Um, you know, as Paul mentioned, we've got the the, the book nominal losses on the bank portfolio. But that always happens when interest rates go up, whenever in history interest rates have gone up. But banks don't have to mark the market, and these are the most liquid, safest assets, U.S. treasuries, and so on. Um, you, you hold them until maturity, and you have no problem. The problem was the, the, the run on deposits. Now, that's why the Fed was created. At least that was the excuse made uh, when Congress was reluctant to, to authorize the creation of the Fed, it was said that, well, even the strongest bank will be bust if you have depositors suddenly fleeing. And that's what happened. Well, that's why the Fed was created, because the central bank can step in and act as a lender of last resort. Mm -hmm. And then the solvent bank will be fine. It didn't do that. It let these banks go bust and only afterwards stepped in. So again, it's the Fed. And we really have to wonder what is the purpose. Maybe it is to end this uh, monetary mm -hmm. system and have an alternative but in in the digital currency sphere and central bank digital currencies but that's more a control okay. tool mm -hmm. the u.s has to become ever more control oriented and more and more people will be attracted to the alternatives being created by china russia and the BRICS countries okay thank you we're running short on time but i want to just ask one last brief question to mr veroli um russia has repeatedly warned against the u.s using its currency as a political weapon so do you think the dollar's decline and the shift to non-dollar trade could actually help insulate developing nations um, or developing economies from Washington's sanctions? Uh, briefly, please, if you could. 
It depends what you mean by developing countries, because South America is always going to be under American domination. I mean, except for Venezuela and Cuba, uh, most of Asia is going to be dominated by China and India, except for again uh, Japan and Korea, which are with the U.S. So the big, the big uh, battlefield you might say is Africa. That's going to be up for grabs, and those countries are going to have to ask themselves. Do we want to be dominated by the U.S. or do we want a fair relationship with other countries such as Russia and China? So that's going to be the real question that African leaders are going to have to ask themselves and decide. Again, Africa is going to be the big battlefield for the next decade or so. On that note, many thanks to all of our guests for joining me on the program. I really appreciate your time. We've been speaking to Paul Craig Roberts, former U.S. Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, now Chairman of the Institute for Political Economy, Richard Werner, Professor of Governance and Sustainability at De Montfort University, and John Veroli, journalist and political analyst. Thank you so much for your time.